Our scripture reading this morning comes from Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on what you would like to say. It's coming from the message as well. Uh, Habakkuk 1, verse 1 to 7. The problem is God gave Habakkuk to see it. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell, help, murder, police, before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face day after day? Anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights all over the place. Law and order fall to pieces. Justice is a joke. The wicked have the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its head. God says, look. Look around at the godless nations. Look long and hard. Brace yourself for a shock. Something's about to take place and you're going to find it hard to believe. I'm about to raise up Babylonians to punish you. Babylonians fierce and ferocious. World-conquering Babylon, grabbing up nations right and left. A dreadful and terrible people, making up its own rules as it goes. And now from chapter 2, verse 1. What's God going to say to my questions? I'm braced for the worst. I'll climb to the lookout tower and scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says, how he'll answer my complaint. Whoa, there we go. Good morning, everybody, and uh, it's good to see you today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to have a, a full congregation. If you'll take out your message notes, uh, they're uh, located in your uh, Sunday news. We'll begin our journey in a new series of messages today called Unstuck. Unstuck. You may have heard this name recently, Jordan Spieth. He's the newest golfing sensation. Just won the Masters Tournament uh, in Augusta, Georgia. And what makes him wonderfully unique is he's only 21 years of age. He not only won the Masters, but he won it handily, 18 under par over the tournament, tying a record set by Tiger Woods quite a few years ago. It's an incredible feat. It's an incredible feat. I love what he said when he put on his freshly minted new green jacket. He said, this is the greatest dream of my life. This is the greatest dream of my life. And the interviewer said to him, how can you improve on the greatest dream of your life? He said, I'd like to win it again. I'd like to win it again. It's good to have dreams. We talk about the Canadian dream. We talk about the American dream. The most important dream we can have for our lives is God's dream. God's dream. And the truth is that you were made for far more than just uh, to make some money, have a good career, retire, and die. Uh, God has a dream for your life. And when you get God's vision, and when you get God's dream for your life, life really makes sense. And all of a sudden you, you say, this is it. This is what I've been living for. And there's meaning, and there's satisfaction, and there's, there's deep fulfillment for your life. And, and there's a spring in your step, and uh, you have a reason to get up in the morning, rather than just, i got to go to work to pay for all the things I've already bought. Uh, you've got a real purpose in life. Sometimes we get stuck in the race of life, and we turn the minors into the majors, and we get impacted by the pressures of our world, 
Instead of us transforming the culture, the culture begins to transform us. And that's unfortunate. So let me take you on a journey this morning. Uh, Number one, the prophet is stuck. I'd love for you to come uh, on a little road trip with me. Uh, And we may need to bring along our GPS today because the road is an obscure one. Uh, You might not have been down this road for a very long time. Uh, Maybe you've never been down this road uh, to visit Habakkuk. Uh, so uh, let's go down that road this morning, and uh, as, uh, as I said, we're going to Habakkuk. I think you've got to say it with me. Let's uh, get it. Habakkuk. Let's do it again. Habakkuk. 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 Uh, hard enough just to pronounce the name, but uh, just to make sense of what he is saying is something else. So uh, if you can't find it, kind of go to the middle of the Old Testament and then move to the right, past Isaiah, past Jeremiah, past Daniel and Ezekiel, and you're getting close. And then you'll have to kind of, and if you can't get it, go to your iPhone and just type in Habakkuk, and you'll get it. If this is a little loud, you can turn me down a bit. I don't know. Is it, is it loud out there? Okay. Uh, honestly, very little is known of this prophet. Uh, he's uh, one of the minor prophets, meaning uh, they don't play a real significant role in the life of the nation of Israel. Not to mean he's not important, but he's just not as significant as Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. Uh, But truly he is a prophet worth reading. And what is so amazing about this little book is the fact that this is a conversation with God. Habakkuk registers a complaint with God. He has a wonderful heart for God. He has a sensitive spirit. And he looks at his nation and his society and his community. And he is deeply stressed. He wonders where God is in his nation, in his community. Have you ever wondered about that for our nation? He's very honest with God. He questions God. Why do you stand back? Our land is in such a mess. And you don't seem to be doing anything about it. I read the book in a, in a couple of translations because it's only three chapters long. But I love the message and how it captures the heartbeat of what's going on in the prophet's day. And maybe this will just help you see what was happening. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? I mean, how, how many times do I have to yell? Help! Murder! Please! Love that. Before you come to the rescue... Why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face day after day, anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights all over the place, law and order fall to pieces, justice is a joke. The wicked have the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its head. And that's what the prophet is struggling with. In fact, he'd like to see a revival. You know, he'd like to, he'd like to, if we had time to develop the history here, he'd like to go back 
quite a few years and see what happened in Josiah's day. And he'd like that kind of revival that happened in Josiah's day to visit once again and the nation of Israel would get turned around. I read the other day of a, of a lady who ended up in the psychiatric ward in a hospital because as a little girl of six, terrible things were done to her and the only way a little girl of six could cope with it was to forget it. So she decided to forget it. And the human mind, being the wonderful machine that it is, was able to do that. So all those memories that she had seemed to get pushed to the back of her mind, and she never thought of them for years. Then she got married, and she went into full-time Christian service. Just an absolutely wonderful girl. But in the joy of the birth of her second child, when all those mechanics are going on in the human body and the hormones are being released that trigger all those things in our bodies and in our brains, all those memories began to resurface. And now she's been nine months under therapy. Her friend called her the other day as she was about to be released and said, I want to ask you one question. What is your picture of God at this point? How can I pray for you? Because I want to know that, and then I'll know how to pray for you. She said, my picture of God, Jill, at this point, is that he's standing there with his hands in his pockets. That's my picture of God. I wonder sometimes how we answer people. So, so the problem of unanswered prayer is high on the prophet's heart. Life is full of all kinds of hard things that none of us have an answer for. There are times that I don't dare give an answer for a very hard question because I don't know. I don't know what God is doing. Perhaps you lost your job because a person had it in for you and they misrepresented you and as a result you lost your job maybe you were diagnosed in your medical situation Mark and I were friends of a, of a great couple in our college days they stood up at our wedding and we stood up at their wedding uh, and then suddenly not too many years after that Joanne was not well and she was misdiagnosed. And she was a wonderful organist. So one day at a, at a service, a funeral service, she was playing the organ. And she heard the speaker talking about another couple who were asking that God would give this mom another 15 years because her children were growing up. And Joanne said, you know, that, that got into my heart and I began to pray, God, would you give me 15 more years? Well, I, I don't remember how many more years, but it wasn't 15. She got a few more years. And then she went home to heaven uh, as a young mom. And man, was that hard. And as I put my arm around my friend, her husband, at the graveside, 
I remember it so clearly in Calgary. He was quite stone-faced. And he must have maybe read me that, that I'm a little shocked that he's not broken. And he said, Listen, I'm grieved out. I don't have any more tears. I think he might have said, Feels like God has his hands in his pockets. Maybe you've experienced some great disappointments. Verse 2, he asks, How long, O Lord? How long must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, but Lord, you don't seem to care. You're not there to change our society. Where are you, God? Have you ever asked that question? Where are you, God? Why are you so silent in my life? And then Habakkuk comes to some conclusions about his country and you can kind of find them at the end of the first chapter. The law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. And when justice does come, it's perverted. But the Lord answers the cry of Habakkuk in verse 5. And God says to Habakkuk, I'm doing something new in your day, okay? You wouldn't believe it if you were told. Habakkuk says, well, God, what are you doing? I can't see that you're doing anything. Give me your game plan. And God answers him, this is my game plan. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. Habakkuk says, well, just try me. Just tell me your game plan. And God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. You what? I'm raising up the Babylonians. Why are you raising up the Babylonians? To bring the nation of Israel back to God. To stop the injustice, to stop the violence, to bring your people back into relationship with God. You're raising up the Babylonians to do that? God, this is overwhelming for Habakkuk. Lord, you're bringing the Babylonians upon us to correct us? I mean, we are wicked, but God, they are more wicked than we could ever be. How can you use something that is more wicked to clean up our land, which is less wicked, but still wicked? Now, let me just say this, probably all of us sometimes in our journey, and uh, probably for uh, many of us lots of times in our journey, we, we are asking the question, God, what do you have for, for me? What is your dream for my life? What is your vision for my life? And I, I seem like I'm in this difficult spot in my life. I want to walk with you, and I want to have a life that's significant, and I don't want to miss it. And Habakkuk makes the best decision of his whole ministry in the first verse of chapter 2 that Mel read for us. And this is such a powerful lesson for all of us, especially those of us who are activists and love to charge ahead. So if you nod off any place in the sermon, and if you need to nod off, go ahead. But, but, but not here, not here. Just please catch this next part and then nod off. Here it is. He decides to lay back. 
Now you can nod off. He decides to lay back. He decides to process what he's heard. He's heard something very disturbing. God's going to raise up the Babylonians. I, I, I can't even comment to that anymore. I don't know what to do with that. So he decides not to overreact. He determines in his heart that he needs to wait upon God and really hear what he's saying. Boy, is that important for us. That's the heartbeat of this little, this little book of Habakkuk. Just to lay back. I, I don't know. Could, could you find a spot in your life where this advice might fit for you today? Where you need to just shrink back a little bit. So secondly, the prophet gets unstuck. It's a very simple outline. Stuck and unstuck. Now the prophet gets unstuck. Have you ever asked some of the questions that Habakkuk is asking? Why is this happening? And how long is this going to take? And uh, why do I have to put up with this? Then in chapter 2, he just stops. He, put every, he puts everything on hold. And basically he says, I'm going to wait for your vision. I'm going to try to hear what you're saying through this. Because I'm not getting it right now. So I guess I need to stop and wait. What do you need to wait upon God for? Are you wondering about next steps in your life? Are you thinking about maybe next steps in your education? Are you thinking about getting married? Maybe you're wondering about your children? Maybe your career, your vocation? Not what you hoped it would be? I need to have God's dream. I need to have God's vision for what is ahead. Maybe you just got stuck in a rut. I don't even know how that happened. Got stuck in a rut. And I'm unsure of where life is taking me. It just feels like I'm stuck. It just feels like I'm drifting with the current. And I'm not sure where I'm going. You know, when we face challenges, we have options. We, we can wait. Or somehow we can get sidelined. And we can stop connecting with other followers of Christ. We can conclude that God's got his hands in his pockets. That God doesn't care. I want you to see what Habakkuk does. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. So I'll read it in the message here. What God's going to say to my questions. I'm braced for the worst. I'll climb to the lookout tower, scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says how he'll answer my complaint, full of self, but soul empty. And then God answered, write this, write what you see, write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. Love that. So a couple of things here when you want to hear the voice of God for your life. You ready? First of all, there's a heart to hear. You have to have a heart to hear. Uh, the prophet has a, has a heart, he has a desire, he has a longing to know what God wants. So he says, I will climb up to the watchtower. I will. 
I want to know God's dream for my life. I don't want to live my three score and ten and just be living it for myself. So it starts with a heart to know God's vision for my life. We probably won't hear his voice if we aren't willing to hear it. Or if we're fighting it. Or if we're debating it. So Habakkuk simply backed off and he said, uh, first thing I want, I do want to hear from God. I want to hear from Him. You know, God doesn't tell you what He what He He puts you on Earth for, so you can choose to say, uh, "Let me think about that." I'm not sure, God. So I'll get back to you on that. I've got to know why I'm on Earth. I've got to know what you want me to do for the next step of my life. I've got to know. I've got to know. I've got to hear your voice. I've got to have your vision. That's such an important starting point. To have a heart, to have a will to really hear God. I don't know how you get going if you don't have that first step. That you, you want to. You've got to want to. You've got to want to. God, where are you leading me? Secondly, a place of quietness. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. It's a place of quietness. Now, just a quick pause here. A watchtower was often built in a grain field or a vineyard to provide a place uh, for a guard to keep an eye on the harvest. When I was in Germany a few years ago, it was just so neat to, to walk out into the forest, and they would have these little watchtowers, and they were kind of guarding the forest and watching for prey and counting the rabbits and uh, because they, they just like to keep track of everything in Germany. <laughs> you know, and you know, sometimes the watchtower would be in the middle of the city and it would be kind of a watchtower to see if the enemy was approaching. This is a busy, noisy world and it's hard to hear God when our engines are revved. And the model you find in Habakkuk will put you and me in a good place for the rest of our lives. Because this can become a daily posture coming to our watchtower. We'll find so much value in getting alone with God on a very regular basis to listen, to hear what God is saying to us. But is, is it ever challenging to find a place of quietness? We walk around with sounds and noises beeping from our iPhones and our headphones and our land phones. What's a land phone? <laughs> that it's hard to hear God. Everywhere you go, there's noise. And God isn't going to speak to you if there's a bunch of noise going on in your life. You've got to get alone and you've got to get quiet. And we call this a quiet time, a place of quietness. And if you've got preschoolers at home, <laughs> you really have an extra challenge to find a quiet spot. But let me give you some hope. And uh, you probably know this story. Susanna Wesley, one of the great women of history, had two sons. One was named John and the other was named Charles. Uh, John founded the Methodist Church and Charles wrote over 6,000 hymns. Susanna Wesley had 18 children. Come on, moms, let's get going. 18 kids. 
How do you find time alone when you have 18 children? One of the things that she did was every afternoon she would go and sit in her favorite rocker and she would just take her apron and throw it over her head. And for the next hour, mom with apron over her head meant no child bothers me or they die. (laughs) And Wesley said it was the prayers of his mom that shaped his life. You, You can find time alone, I guess, if you're desperate. Make time alone. So you remove all the distractions. You take the phone off the hook when you're having a quiet time. You don't answer your email. You don't answer your cell phone. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. I love this in the message. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. Well, I think that's exactly what happens in prayer. The focus begins to shift from you to God and you begin to sense His grace. So find a place of quietness. Thirdly, wait. Habakkuk writes, There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how He will answer my complaint. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So in the first part of the verse he says, I will stand at my guard post or I will station myself. You almost think of the guards at the National War Museum in Ottawa. They stop. They get in position. They don't move. They don't get distracted. Funny thing happened in Buckingham Palace this past week. Did you catch it on, on, uh, on uh, TV? Uh, one of the guards, was, it was a changing of the guard, and one of the guards, you know how they stand so stiff and so formal, actually slipped on a metal grate, and, and, and he went down and he took a hard fall. Of course, everybody has their cameras these days, and they caught it, and it went to the international papers, and there he is, this guard, right down on his behind, and it's recorded for all posterity to see that uh, this is what happened. But, you know, they stand so still. They stand so quiet. And that's kind of where we need to get to. Dallas Willard's well-known comments, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. But is that ever hard to do? Have you noticed? The Bible says that David sat before the Lord. A lot of people think you have to be on your knees and hold your hands like this to be in prayer. No, you don't. Actually, the most common form for praying in the posture is is standing and looking up to heaven with eyes wide open and just talking to God and actually verbalizing out loud. I find that a whole lot easier because I'm able to focus better. Isaiah gives us a good reminder, and Colleen reminded us this morning, that when we feel depleted of energy, we can get it back when we wait on God. And we just say, God, here I am before you. I've been really empty, so would you fill me? And it comes from waiting. Why do I forget that so much? How are we to wait First, in waiting on God, you wait quietly. 
Psalm 62, I wait quietly before God. My hope is in Him. Just slow down. Secondly, wait patiently. Psalm 37, verse 7, be still, don't move in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for Him to act. When you're quiet and your heart is open and sensitive, you're going to hear God in a way you've never heard Him before. But it's unlikely if you're rushing that you'll hear Him in that kind of way. So slow down. Wait patiently. Thirdly, wait expectantly. Psalm 105, I wait expectantly, trusting God for help, for the the help that He has promised. And this is the place of faith as we're quiet. We just trust Him to speak into our hearts the things that we need to hear. And, And some days you don't hear Him as clearly, and there are other days when you hear Him so clearly. But we come expectantly. And aren't those interesting words? There I will wait to see what the Lord says. There I will wait to see what the Lord says. Now, I don't know how big a deal to make out of this, but my heart kind of raced at this point. Uh, We might have expected it to read, There I will wait to listen. Wouldn't we say it that way? There I will wait to listen to what the Lord says. But he says, I will wait to see what the Lord says. It's really cool for me to think about this because I think this is what we experience. And I hadn't really processed it, and I'm still processing it. See, I don't hear the audible voice of God when I wait upon him. But I do begin to have the visuals. And God's voice is usually visual, isn't it? We get an idea. We get a vision in our heart. We get an idea in our head. We have pictures all over the place. Wow, I mean, you can't make a move in our world these days if somebody has a camera. Lots of pictures. A picture is worth a thousand words. And the Bible is filled with many, many, many examples of people getting God's dream, God's vision in their mind. I mean, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea, Obadiah, and in the New Testament, of course, James, Peter, Paul, and the rest of them. These are people who got visions from God. It's not a crazy, weirdo kind of thing. It's just a vision. It's just a picture just a picture from God. And God often uses a mental picture to clarify where he wants you to go in the next step. So when you're praying, you may get a picture in your mind or you may get an idea. My experience of waiting before the Lord is having my heart open to what God is doing. And there are times when I I see the picture. It might be like a bigger picture, like a a directional picture. It might relate to a next step. It might be an idea. And always when I get the idea, it makes me very, very excited about the future, and I can hardly contain it. And it's like, yes, Lord, that's it. That's it, I see that. 
Some of us are probably visual thinkers. We immediately put things into the context of a word picture because we're just wired that way. We get an idea, we've got to put it into a word picture because that's how it makes sense to us. But not everyone is that way. Some people are really wired to words. And they love to read and read and read and read and they get the picture through lots of words. And of course, I really want to say the best place to get the picture is through the Word of God and through reading the Word consistently. Because God inspired this Word and when we read it, the Holy Spirit illuminates this Word and before long your heart is resonating with truth and direction and wisdom and next steps. So to remove ourselves from the Word is to remove ourselves from what God might be trying to say to us. So keep being immersed in the Word. Primarily we sort through God's direction for our lives in Scripture, but it may be that as you wait, you have promptings and you have pictures and you have ideas that come to your mind and to your heart. Anyone who has made a habit of reading the Word of God regularly knows how God gives us pictures through His Scripture. There's a wonderful song, and we're going to sing it uh, at the close of this, uh, the message, and that, that says, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to... No, it doesn't say listen to you. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Now there's one more step that's so helpful. And, and, and I'll be finished. Write it down. What you hear, record it in your journal or wherever. Record the ideas that you receive. And listen to this from the message. And then God answered, write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. Uh, I enjoy journaling. I don't do it every day. But I've been journaling for the last 30 years. And I have to say it's been a very helpful process to uh, sort through things in my life. To hear the voice of God. In times of crisis, I've, I've cried out to the Lord and said... God, I don't understand this. And um, in times of joy, my heart's been uh, filled with praise. And it's a blessing to write it down. It's a real blessing to write it down. God can handle anything we throw at Him. He's just glad that we come. And if you feel like your prayer life has gotten a little bit stale, try writing out your prayers. You say, really? Could you write out your prayers? Oh, yeah. Write out your prayers. And, and it helps to keep the freshness in the relationship. Habakkuk wrote it down, and that's why we have these beautiful three chapters in the Bible, because this is his journal. We learn a lot from his journal. And you know, the Lord was pleased with Habakkuk that he waited and he listened and he trusted. And although I know our time is gone, I just have to make sure I jump to the end of the book, chapter 3, because these are the famous lines of the prophet. From his waiting and trusting, Habakkuk has such a strong sense of the sovereignty of God. It's hard to understand how, how things work the way they do. How the Babylonians would have any place in correcting the people of God. But you know what waiting does? 
and, and this will happen in your life, it gives a brand new perspective. It gives a sovereign perspective. Even if the externals don't change, you see what God's doing in your situation and you trust him. So he writes, I will wait for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. And even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields as, and the battle, uh, cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. So my friends, uh, feeling a little stuck in where God is leading you, feeling a little stuck in the situation that you're facing, spend some time with Habakkuk. Spend some time with the Lord, and he will help you know that God can answer all of your questions. Uh, Well, I shouldn't have said that. He will answer some of your questions. He will never answer all of your questions. I doubt he will ever answer all of your questions, but he will answer some of your questions. But most of all, he will help you be sure of him. He will help you be sure of him. We come to know his sovereign love and plan for our lives and that he walks with us. And what could be better than that? Would you stand with me, please? So, Lord, we appreciate your servant, Habakkuk, You taught him, and you're teaching us. But most of all, Lord, I I ask for clarity for any of us who are stuck, not sure of the future, uh, that you would give us uh, a sovereign perspective once again today in the name of Jesus. Amen.